Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Gabe Friedman, and you're listening to Down to Business. What's going to happen to home prices in Canada? No one can predict the future, of course, but Randall Bartlett, a senior director of Canadian economics at Desjardins Economics Studies, has been looking at one small part of what we do know, which is immigration levels, our aging population, and how this is going to affect the housing market. Bartlett says Canada faces a challenge because our population is aging, so we need to ramp up immigration just to pay for things like healthcare and other services. But at the same time, we need to build housing faster than we're currently doing to accommodate that immigration. We talked about the plausibility of that goal, what's happening with interest rates, and where housing prices may be going this year. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Randall, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk to me. Oh, my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Cool. So you recently released a report that said, and I'm summarizing, but for Canada to keep up with immigration levels, the country needs to build about an extra 100,000 homes every year. We're currently building about 200,000, so that's about 50% more. Before we get into that and talk about housing, it, it may make sense to back up a second and just address immigration and explain the background for immigration levels in Canada today. Well, I mean, immigration is central, I think, to a big part of the Canadian identity. I mean, most Canadians, if uh, you're not First Nations or Indigenous, it is the descendant of an immigrant from coming from somewhere else in the world. And certainly that's a big part of our of our history. And, you know, it brings in uh, new workers into the economy. It brings in new ideas into the economy. People coming from abroad tend to, you know, more in, likely to start small businesses, more likely to be engaged in international trade within those businesses. And as our immigration policies have evolved throughout the years, immigrants have helped to address labor shortages. Immigrants have helped to address the aging population, which is something that we're going to be contending with more and more all the time in Canada. And we need immigration to help address that as, you know, the, the cost of aging continues to rise and as we need more workers to fill positions that become vacant. And so immigration helps to provide a great deal of support to higher economic growth and activity today and, uh, and going forward as well. Okay, maybe we can go back then to connect this to housing and just the math that you've done, which is that, as I understand it, it's like we currently build about 200,000 houses a year and that we're going to be admitting a little less than 1.5 million people over the next few years. So like you've got a big shortfall where we're admitting more people than houses. Can you walk me through how you came up with the numbers you came up with? Yeah, I started off by looking at work that had been done by the Bank of Canada on the Canadian housing market. And so we took some of the approaches that they developed for understanding the impact of not just things like the stage of the economic cycle we're in and interest rates and that sort of thing, but accounting for population flows within Canada. So both international and interprovincial population flows within Canada. And then what we did was we mapped that to what, what the changes in home sales mean for housing starts and what does it mean for listings? And then ultimately, what does that mean for prices? And so what we did was we looked at, you know, given the immigration targets that we have in Canada and assumptions around interprovincial population movements, 
we, we established a baseline forecast for sales and starts, listings, prices, et cetera. And then we asked the question, well, in order to offset the impact of higher immigration relative to where we've been historically, how high would housing starts need to go to offset the price impact of that higher immigration? And so that's uh, what we attempted to answer. And so the 100,000 was the result that we got over the next couple of years that this is what we would need to see in terms of higher housing starts on a sustained basis in order to be able to offset the price impact of higher immigration. I would say one of the most surprising things I read in your reports is that Canada is currently building housing at a near record pace. My expectation was the opposite. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty incredible and not, not a surprise maybe, but um, during the pandemic, Canada was building housing at a fairly sustained basis that we hadn't seen across the country, probably I would say since about you know the, the mid-1970s. And the reason for that is that you know we saw that there was a lot of demand for housing, that sales activity increased substantially during the pandemic as people were leaving urban centers and moving further afield to get more space. And then this led to higher sales activity, higher prices. And then this tends to drive then later on, about six months later, a higher starts. So more home building activity. And so as you know, home builders respond to demand. And so that's really what we saw during the pandemic. And the last time we saw sustained building around that same pace was during the 1970s, when you had the baby boomers who were coming of age and starting to buy their own homes and start their own families. And so really, it's, it's sort of this uh, new era of that. Huh. It wasn't a function of immigration at that time during the pandemic, because we actually saw immigration come down substantially during that period, because of the fact that we international uh, travel was quite constrained. And so really, it was a function of demand. And so, you know, as the housing market has cooled on higher interest rates. We've seen that sales have come down and consequently, started, while they were quite elevated, have started to, uh, to tip lower as well in recent months. When you say that housing reached this near record pace at the start of the pandemic, was there like a huge jump? Like, do you, can you quantify what happened exactly? Yes. What you can see is that during the pandemic, you know, we had this period at the very outset where sales activity, construction activity, you know, dropped significantly. And it's really was a function of the fact that people were constrained in their ability to, to move around and, and that sort of thing. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty as to what the outlook was going to be for the economy. But as the economy rebounded and people were, were digging in for the long term, teaching children at home or working from home, and we saw that housing starts started to pick up just with that demand in sales and overall sales activity. And so it's, and it's not just in the big cities in Canada either. It was in smaller communities. You know, we, we hadn't seen this kind of fervent housing market activity in the past as people were spreading further afield than they had before. So that's really sort of what underpinned that jump up in activity during the pandemic. It really was a function of, you know, classic supply and demand in economics. And, you know, we're starting just to see that cooling down recently as a result of higher borrowing costs for households. But we're, we're continuing to see prices come down and we're seeing rents go up significantly now. And so as a consequence of the price to rent ratio coming down, housing is looking more attractive than it did in the past. We're seeing the Bank of Canada's paused for a prolonged period of time, and that's helping to pull down longer-term borrowing costs, which will reduce the cost of, say, fixed-rate mortgages going forward. And then you also have the fact that we have these large immigration flows into Canada. So you have strong population growth, you know, that the housing market still 
correcting, but but at a much slower pace than it did before. And so it really seems to be broadly a market that's searching for a bottom. And this also comes along with things like a very tight labor market in Canada, which we continue to see very strong employment growth and you know wage and income growth, as well as high personal savings among Canadians. And so we have all of these sort of fundamental foundational factors that we expect to you know support the housing market and really help it to find a, a floor. I mean, I, I did notice in your reports that like just the average sale price January 2023 was down 21% from the peak of the market, which was February 2022. And it was down like 15% year over year. And it was like, you know, five consecutive months of contractions in the average price of a home. Have we reached the bottom of the market yet? So I don't think we've quite reached the bottom of the market, but we don't think we're very far off. When it comes to sales activity, we think probably the early part of the second half of this year, so the third quarter of this year, we should find a bottom in the housing market and so the sales activity and then that should start to pick up. Prices tend to start moving in the same direction as sales, you know, a little later than that, a couple of months later. We expect if sales activity starts to pick up in the third quarter, prices uh, should start to pick up on a more sustained basis in the fourth quarter of the year and then starts probably will start to pick up in the early part of 2024. So they all tend to change sequentially. And so we're expecting to see that happen, you know, really starting in the latter half of this year. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I should say too that like the average price, the maybe the average sale price of an existing home in January for all of Canada was $621,000, which that's still quite high, I think, probably for a lot of people. But I guess there is also a caveat to all of this, right? Which is that these are averages. The immigration is averages. We're talking about like housing starts on a national level. It's the caveat is that it's not Canada at large. It's basically a few places. Like Ontario as a province, I think I read, accepts more than half of all immigrants. And it's the cities. Is that fair? Yeah, that's right. So what we've seen historically is, especially in recent history, Ontario has been a large recipient of immigrants coming into Canada, as has BC, so relative to its population share. So those two provinces have really, since oil prices kind of came down back in 2014, 2015, you know, we've seen them, a larger share of immigrants, you know, have them been going to Ontario and BC. And that's really helped increase population growth in those provinces and also tended to, you know, lead to erosion of affordability and, and just more demand for housing within those provinces. And so, you know, sort of natural consequences, I think, uh, where we tend to see larger shares of uh, newcomers to Canada going. I see. So when you say like the country needs to build 100,000 more homes on top of the roughly like 200,000 housing starts we're doing, I mean, how concentrated do those need to be in the country? Yeah. So when we did the analysis, what we did was we just assumed blanket building across the country, essentially. So we didn't specify, you know, which province it was going to be. All provinces were assumed to, to build at roughly the same proportionate rate. And so if we saw more building in provinces like Ontario and BC, 
then that would have that much more of an outsized impact on home prices by you know mitigating the increase in home prices and helping to prevent as significant an erosion in affordability. And so provinces like Ontario, where they have a goal of building you know, 1.5 million new homes over the next decade, that's something, if that goal was achieved, that would have an even more disproportionate impact on keeping a lid on home prices, both in Ontario and in Canada more broadly. And do you have any sense about sort of how achievable it is for us to do any of this to like increase housing even just a little bit? That's the big question, right? And so big focus on looking to the federal government to solve a lot of problems, but it's really the jurisdiction of the provinces and municipal governments to help build that housing. So where the federal government can provide funds to the provinces and municipalities to provide incentives to build, it's really up to the provinces and municipalities to you know provide the the, the environment by which uh, we can get more building. And so you know, by doing that, by reducing things like exclusionary zoning, by allowing for more infill within cities and encouraging density uh, within cities, by investing in public transit so that people are better able to live in close proximity within cities without having to drive. All of these things, you know, work together to create the opportunity for greater density, greater home building, and allow people to be able to, to get around uh, more easily without having to move further afield to get a home that they can afford and then have to travel long distances to get into uh, cities for work. Well, yeah, right. Like that's, that's the other caveat to it is sort of like transportation and like We've had other people on the show who basically said, like, the issue in Canada with housing is not that there's not enough housing. It's just that it's not in the right places. And if we could build it in the right places, then, like, we could theoretically, you know, make housing more affordable. What are some of the policy prescriptions you see for the problems that we have? Yeah, well, I mean, specifically, starting with the federal government, I think providing very clear incentives for municipalities, financial incentives to build more and things like, you know, the housing accelerator fund that existed, the federal government created in budget 2022, which, you know, is, is really a relatively small amount of capital available to for this support. But I think the idea of providing very clear and simple incentives to qualify for that funding, I think is, is, uh, is quite positive. I think that making federal lands available more rapidly than is currently happening for, for building, I think, is something that's very important, as long as it's not something that's going to be environmentally damaging or something that will degrade you know, the environmental resources in a meaningful way in Canada. Then for the provinces, again, making provincial lands that are underutilized available, I think, would be very, very helpful. And working with municipalities to create a zoning and a legislative environment that allows them, not, not just allows, but encourages them to increase the density of those communities. Because in Canada, we have some of the lowest density cities in the world when you look at it on a global basis, less so maybe just when you look at it just in North America. But even then, our big cities are less dense than some in the US too. And I think it's important that we create that sort of zoning, uh, legislative environment that encourages cities to really focus on increasing density and and providing that funding environment and, and those incentives so that we do start to get that increased density as our population grows very quickly. What do you think is sort of the most likely outcome that we're going to see in the next couple of years? How is all this going to shake out? I know it's asking you to predict the future. So <laughs> that, That's the big question, right? And so the federal government has been clear that they intend to maintain the immigration targets that they've set out. So that's you know reaching 
half a million people by 2025 in terms of immigrants coming into the country. But then we also have non-permanent residents here. We have foreign students as well, so they're not included in it. So it's a significant number of people that we have coming into the country over the next few years, and all of those people need housing. And so it really is commensurate on all levels of government to provide the environment that you know we're going to make sure these people are housed. Because the risk you get into is that you start to get pushback from Canadians who can't afford homes themselves or uh, whose children can't afford homes and so are you know, unable to, to get into the housing market. And so because of the cost just becomes so high because there's so much, so many people chasing so few assets that push, keeps pushing up prices and it becomes unreachable for many. So I think that's something that, you know, we, it, it is really a risk. And then that might, you know, sour Canadians on more so on immigration than, than, than it should, because we do need these people to be coming into the country to support what's going to be an economy that's coming up against the significant aging. And so we need to bring these people into Canada to, you know, not only replace workers that are leaving the labor market, but also bring with them their ideas, their international trade networks, all of those things so that they can contribute uh, to the Canadian economy and Canadian society as well and really, you know, take us through, you know, to the middle part of the century and going forward. So I think it's uh, commensurate on us to make and on all levels of government to make sure that we're creating an environment where everyone is housed. So we continue to be an important, a desirable destination for international immigrants, particularly economic immigrants who are you know, more likely to be employed after a year in the country than uh, the uh, native born population and also more likely to have a higher median income than the native-born population as well after living here for a year. And so uh, those people are, you know, they're working, they're earning good livings, they're paying taxes, and they're doing all of those things that help to, you know, ensure we have services and, uh, you know, and, and a thriving economy that we all benefit from and lets us all prosper. And so it's important that all levels of government see this as really a generational challenge, something we haven't seen in terms of the need for home building since the baby boomers entered the housing market. And so it really is something that, you know, the policymakers need to embrace and focus on as opposed to pushing back on and saying, well, not in my backyard. Right. One word we didn't really mention was like the baby boom. How much of this is the kind of chain of consequences that are occurring from like an aging population? How much of it sort of stems from that? Well, it's interesting because the baby boom obviously plays a big part in this for a couple of reasons. One of which is that, you know, people are living longer and healthier. And so their people are staying in their homes longer. I think of uh, my dad, who was born in 1948. So near the very beginning of the baby boom, just after the war. And he's turning uh, 75 this year. And, you know, he's still in his home. And so that historically, because we're living, you know, we didn't we didn't live as long as we do now. We weren't as healthy into our old old age as we are now. People weren't living in in their homes as long, so there was more turnover in the housing stock. That doesn't happen now, but that's a reflection of a good thing. It's certainly a positive for us as a society. But boomers are also they're investing more in property than in the past as well. They've seen home prices go up dramatically and uh, have been investing in you know second and third homes not everyone but it's becoming a growing segment of home ownership are investors and not corporate investors necessarily but small investors and so it's logical that people would do that there's an income stream attached to it you get the capital gains all of this stuff like it it is perfectly logical but that also takes housing stock off of the market for ownership nominally it should be in the rental market but certainly that takes it off the ownership market and so it would just reduces the stock of housing available so really, that generation is such a big part of what's impacting the housing market in a way that we haven't seen in past generations. 
And now as we're bringing in all of these newcomers, we're not bringing on new housing stock to accommodate the rise in population at a rate that we haven't seen since the uh, the baby boomers were, were being born. And so it's something that is really unprecedented in the last sort of 50 plus years. And so it's something that, you know, we really need to all get behind in terms of encouraging policymakers to uh, pull out all the stops to uh, make sure that we provide the housing needs for uh, the newcomers to Canada in the same way that we did as a country for the baby boomers when they came of age. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. It's one that I think we're going to be talking about a lot more in the future, but I really appreciate you coming on the show, Randall. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That was Randall Bartlett, a Senior Director of Canadian Economics at Desjardins Economic Studies. That's this episode of Down to Business. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Bryce Hall, who composed and performed the original music you just heard, designed the logo for Down to Business, and executive produced this show. Thanks also to Pamela Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells for their support in web editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.